Well, we've been talking about uh, the, the concept of this, uh, of, uh, of I think Paul writing to uh, those New Testament uh, Jews who, who had uh, now understood why Christ came and beginning to understand the gospel, beginning to understand uh, the new covenant, if you want to call it that. And Paul's trying to explain to them why they should not literally abandon Judaism, but switch to, to the new gear. The old covenant is now done. The new covenant has begun. He's trying to explain this to them. Now, before we, do, before we look in Hebrews, let me give you a couple passages I want you to read this morning. Go back to, uh, go back to Exodus uh, chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. We'll come back, leave your finger in, in uh, Hebrews. We'll come there and get back to chapter 8 in a minute. But Exodus chapter 25, if you know anything about Exodus, and uh, we've studied that book before in our class, uh, when you get to chapter 25, we start with the building of the, of the temple, or the tabernacle, right? And so what happens in Exodus chapter 25, just a rough draft here, you get uh, all the furnishings of the tabernacle explained, right? So when you look at chapter 25, uh, you'll see Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses and he says, take an offering and it gives a list of things that they should give in the offering to build this tabernacle. Verse eight, then it goes into, uh, I think it's verse eight. Yeah, let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, right? And then he starts listing those things in the tabernacle and he gives exact details of everything and how he wants that made. Uh, for instance, when you look at verse uh, 10, and we look at verse 10, he talks about the ark. When you verse, look down to verse 17 and following, he talks about the mercy seat. Uh, when you look at verse 23 and following, the table of showbread, uh, verse 31, the candlestick and so on. So you get, you get all these uh, descriptions of the, the furniture in chapter 25, mainly the furniture uh, in the holy place, in the holy of holies, you get this description of those places in the tabernacle. You say, why are you pointing that out when you were talking about the book of Hebrews? Well, what Paul's doing, he says, listen, everything that was in that tabernacle, every, not just the furnishings, but the ordinances and the operation of the priest and the priest's clothing, everything was a pattern, a picture, an example of a or a shadow of what was to come. And so now Paul, when he's explaining to these New Testament Jews why they, don't know, they no longer have to go to the tabernacle, they no longer have to give sacrifices, he goes back to Exodus. And actually, when you're looking at Hebrews, uh, look at, uh, go back to Hebrews, hold your place in Exodus, we're going to go back and forth. Uh, when you look at Hebrews, uh, look at verse, uh, let's see, where am I at? Verse 5? Is it verse 5, I want to say? Yeah, verse 5, here, look at what he says here. He's talking about the, the new covenant. He says, who, who serve, all these things serve, talking about the tabernacle, the priests and all that. All these things serve as an example and shadow of heavenly things. And Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. And then this is an Old Testament quote from the last verse in chapter 25 of Hebrews. He says, see, see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. You look back at Exodus chapter 25, verse 49. That's where that comes from. That's what he's quoting. And look that thou make them after the pattern which was showed thee in the mount. In other words, he's saying, listen, when Moses was told to build the tabernacle, when Moses was told how this priesthood would work, and when Moses was told how the sacrifice, there was a pattern. There was a pattern or a shadow or an example of something that was to come. And he's saying to these Jews, you should know that. That's what's written in the Old Testament. God's already told you these were not the things, right? This, this was not the sacrifice. This pictured the perfect sacrifice. This pictured the, the, the uh, removal of sin. It was not the removal of sin. It was a covering of sin. Someday all of this will come true and now it has come true in Jesus Christ. 
And so uh, I mentioned this last week. Paul amazingly, especially when you get to chapter 9, uh, he's just continually referring these Jews to the Old Testament to make them understand this isn't something new. This is something that we've talked about for a long time. You should already know this. And if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you must then also believe that all those things that were for a shadow of the Messiah were for an example of the Messiah, all those things are done away with, right? Uh, I look at it this way. I thought about this this morning. Let's say, uh, here's what he's telling. Let's say uh, I go out and I buy a new pulpit uh, for my Sunday school class. This is is, uh, my pulpit for the Sunday school class. And so if I buy a new pulpit for the Sunday school class, right now we call this the pulpit for my Sunday school class. But if I buy a new pulpit for the Sunday school class and I put the old pulpit back there, then sitting here would be what? It would be, you'd have to have a name for it. And you would say at first, oh, that's his new pulpit. Now the pulpit that sat here before, what would it be called? See how simple that is? And that's what Paul's telling them. Okay, one, did, one replaced the other. And if the new, if this one has replaced it, then that one has to be old. You with me? They were already told there would be a new. When the new came, what they had is now old. Does that make, is that kind of helpful? Can you see that? Okay, so that's what he's telling them. Now, he also quotes, I'm gonna get, we looked at Genesis, I mean, Exodus 25. Go to the book of Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah chapter 31. Because also in chapter eight, he quotes Jeremiah chapter 31. In fact, uh, I think I've done the right research. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, this quote in Hebrews, uh, in the last part of chapter 8, it is the longest passage quoted from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Kind of interesting, I think. There's a lot of verses quoted. There's a couple times where several verses are quoted, quoted, but the longest quote from the Old Testament is in Hebrews chapter 8, okay? And that's found in, I'm giving you, I'm stalling to give you time to get to the book of Jeremiah. If you're like me, you have to go in all the books in your head. Anybody else still do that? I still do that. Even in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I have to go, I have to think in my mind sometimes. Sometimes I go right to them, but there's still that. Okay, so Jeremiah chapter 31, look at verse 31. Now I'm going to read, now again, keep your place open to Hebrews. You can let go of uh, Exodus. Keep your place open to Hebrews chapter 8 and look at Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse 31, he says this, behold the days come. Now, now look at me, look at me. This is a prophecy from Jeremiah the prophet saying that someday something's going to happen. Agreed? Behold, the days are going to come. This is a prophecy. uh, That I will make, what's the phrase there? A new covenant. In other words, I've made this covenant. That will be placed someday by a new covenant. Paul's telling the Jews of his day, look, the old now is done. You should know there was coming a new. It's in the Bible. We've already quoted this. In your, in your Old Testament prophecies, there's a reference to this. And that's, this is the reference. He said, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. In other words, I am making, they, they knew, if they knew their Old Testament Bible, if they knew their Old Testament scriptures, they knew that someday this was going to happen. So Paul immediately quotes back to where that references it. You see what's going on here? It's actually a beautiful way to do this. He's saying the, Old, the New Testament uh, is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. We know that. They weren't convinced of that yet. So they're getting it. Look at verse, uh, last part of verse 32. Which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. I made a covenant, they broke the covenant. 
right? Now, there, there's an... I'm going to get ahead of myself. I'm trying to keep things slow and still give, keep, you, keep you out with me. Look at verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, after a certain amount of time, we don't, they weren't given the time, but we know when the time was, right? We know that what happened, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. A certain amount of time is going to happen. After those days are done, I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, look at me. Look at me. So here, here's what he's saying. Let me kind of give you a, a brief little. Okay. So what he's saying is, if you look at the old covenant, most of that is external, right? That is what you do. You, you, you have a sacrifice. You, you uh, have certain holy days. Uh, there are certain ways you do things. Uh, that's all external. God's saying that when the new has come, it won't be so much about the external. It'll be more about the internal, the what? The heart, okay? And so he's letting them know that in the inside. So all of those things pointed to a better day when it wasn't so much of what you had to do, but what you had to believe. Everybody still with me? Okay. Uh, and it's clear Old Testament prophecy. After those days, saith the Lord, verse 33, I will put in my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor. We'll talk about what that means in a second because that's interesting too. And every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall know me from the least of them until the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Okay, there's coming a day when I will no longer even remember their sin. Why? Because it's no longer covered. Now what is this? It's removed. The blood of bulls and goats, you'll see this in chapter 10 of Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats covered the sin, but the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect sinless Lamb of God, removed it. Okay? That's not a new... You say, well, that's what the New Testament teaches. No, 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 no. You, you understand what I'm saying this morning? Paul is saying, that's what the Old Testament taught. This isn't new. This is fulfillment of the old. The old pulpit, we don't use anymore. We got a new one. You're with me now? And so he makes this beautiful argument. When you get to chapter 9, I don't want to get ahead of myself. When you get to chapter 9, how many of you have a reference Bible? You have scriptures off? Okay, look at your reference Bible real quick. And if you have it in the middle margin or on the side, when you look at chapter 9, look at how many Old Testament scriptures are referred to. I, I, list, I gave you a list last week. But look at old, I mean, it should be just bam, 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 bam. Why? Because what Paul's saying is, he's not saying, never mind any of that. He's not saying that at all. He's not saying that didn't count. He's not saying that at all. He's saying that was the old covenant and it is fulfilled now. You don't have to do that anymore. This is what you do. It's still a, a concept of faith in what you were doing, but it, it is now done. Amen? You guys are, some of you are looking like you're getting it now. I, I'm, I'm glad. Maybe, uh, maybe that is a little helpful. All right, so look at chapter 8. Go back to chapter 8. Go back to chapter 8. Chapter, uh, verse 5, if you have a reference Bible, it should say that on the outside of your, your reference there. Exodus, uh, uh, Exodus 25 probably says Exodus 25, 40, because that's the actual verse. How many of you got that in your Bible? That means you have a good Bible. That's a good thing, okay? Uh, when you get down to chapter 8... I mean, verse eight, right? Uh, uh, let me read verses six and seven. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Amen. 
And so for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place should have been sought for the second. If the first covenant had completely removed sin, you wouldn't need the new covenant. But the, new, the old covenant didn't say it removed sin. It said it covered sin. The new covenant removes it. And since it was not faultless in that way, you need a new... The argument, he's, Paul's almost talking, in my mind, like a lawyer in court. He's calling up the Old Testament evidence, you know, standing before the court and saying, okay, let me explain something. I'm not saying what's said in the Old Testament is wrong. I'm saying what's said in the Old Testament was absolutely correct and now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he's making this beautiful, I mean, it really is an unbelievably good argument. So when you see in verse 8, now verse 8, you should, if you have a reference Bible, out to the side, you should have somewhere it says Jeremiah 31, uh, either verses 32 through 33 or 31 through 34, something like, everybody, reference Bible, you guys got that too? Look at those people with good Bibles. Okay, I like Bibles that don't make a lot of comment, but just point me back to the verse itself. I can read the verse for myself. You don't need to tell me what it says. I'll read it. It's like the news telling me what everything means. I thought the news was telling me what happened. Don't tell me what it means. I get so irritated sometimes. I listen to the news. And by the way, I got to say this. I, this is way off the subject, but I, it's been on my mind and it's really irritating me. How many of you have noticed, uh, and I, I watch chat, Channel 13 news, and I don't know if it's just them or other news. How many of you notice how many times now they're talking about the police shooting somebody? Okay, every time I've heard that so far, this guy tried to throw a knife at the police and they shot him. This guy pulled a gun and pointed at the police and they shot him. It's not a police shooting. Where, where did we get that title? Police shooting. What about the, vic, the, the criminal? It was a criminal shooting. That's what started it. Anyway, don't get me upset. That just irritates me. But they've been doing that more and more lately. Like the police have done something wrong for doing their job. I'll tell you something. I'm not an officer of the law, but if I'm armed and you point a gun at me and go to pull the trigger... It'll be a more shooting. It's going to, I mean, that's crazy. That's their job to prevent crime. Anyway, don't I, I know I'm off on a tangent, but seriously, I, I get so tired of it. And lately, that's all they've been saying, and it's enough. Stop saying that. Get off of it. Anyway, I'm in, I'm in verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 8. I don't have any idea where that came from. Uh, for, now, now, what happens in chapter 8? So now he begins to quote what you just read in Jeremiah. Look at it again. He said, Behold, the days come when, uh, saith the Lord. And by the way, there's something you want to note here. Uh, I think it's in your notes somewhere. Uh, in this passage, uh, I think it's six times, five or six times, there's a phrase that continually repeats itself. You know what the phrase is? I will. Now, let me explain to you why that's important. In the Old Covenant, it was what you did. How many of you know where I'm going with this? Mercy, the definition of mercy and grace, right? In the New Covenant, it's what? It's what I will do. I, boy, it, when you see that, that's got to bring some joy to your heart. Look, he says, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the old covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and, and, and write them in their hearts and I will be them to them a God and they shall be to me a people and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saith the Lord. Uh, know the Lord for all shall know me from the last to the great, from the least to the greatest for I will be merciful. Now check this out. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness 
and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Wait a minute. You mean even when we sin, you will show us grace and mercy? Exactly. This, now, if you're an Old Testament Jew, if you're a Jew in this time leaning on the Old Testament, wouldn't you want to go, oh, that is better. Amen. You see it? It's a beautiful picture of what Paul's painting here. And then he goes on in verse 13. He says, in that he saith, a new covenant hath he made the first old. If you have a new covenant, if you have a new pulpit, the, old purpose, the other pulpit is old, okay? Uh, if you have a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. I, another amazing phrase here, okay? I'm doing some studying last week, and I have not ever caught that phrase in my mind. I've read it a hundred times like you have. Ready to vanish. What is he saying? It's not all done yet, but it will be soon. It's fulfilled in Christ. But at this time, at this time of this writing, was, were Jews still worshiping in the temple? Were they still doing sacrifices? What happened shortly after this is written? Anybody know? Historically. A.D. 70. What happened in A.D. 70? The Romans not only came in this, and, and took over the Holy Land, but they took over Jerusalem, and what did they do? They destroyed the temple. Do you know that in the New Testament, there's a prophecy about that happening before it happened, and here it is. Look, and I love the way it's phrased here. The old, the old wax is old and is ready to, in other words, not only, not only should, you not, should you no longer worship in the tabernacle or the temple, you won't, you won't be able to. From that point on, it hasn't happened. Isn't that amazing? Before the fact happened, it's already written. I mean, it's a, this, this passage is amazing fulfillment, not only of Old Testament prophecy, but at the same time, a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, a fulfillment of what's going to happen in just a, a prophecy of what's going to happen in a few years that then has been fulfilled. And you, seriously, I, I love it when people tell me, well, you, you know, men wrote that, you can't trust, oh, come on. No, no man can pull that out. I don't care how smart Paul was. There is no way that Paul knew, even when he wrote it, he had to be Holy Spirit inspired. When he wrote that down, it is ready to vanish away. Do you really think he thought, yeah, I, I think what's going to happen, Rome is getting strong and Rome's going to come here and Rome's going to take over the country. And when they do, they'll destroy the temple and we won't be. He doesn't know that. So why does he write that? This is a Holy Spirit-inspired book, amen? It's pretty obvious. Okay, now, with all that introduction, let's go to the lesson. You may, some new people in my class are going, really, we didn't even get, to? it's okay, it's, it's, it's normal for my class. So you should have a, you should, whoops, I'm in the wrong one. You should have one that says on the front of it, uh, a better covenant part two. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? Anybody need one? You good? Okay. A better co if you don't have one, there's some in the back and we'll get them to you. Just stick your hand up and Ken's standing back there right now ready to rush it to you. All right. So look at, so last week's lesson, here's the outline of last week's lesson. Last week's lesson, he talked about the simple fact in verses one, two, and three that we have a better priest. That was point number one, right? Then he talked about in verses four and five uh, that we have a, uh, a better tabernacle in a better place. The actual physical structure is better. One is earthly, the other is heavenly. One was temporal, the other is eternal. We have a, so we have a, 
we have a better priest, we have a better tabernacle and a better place. And now, number three, this is the last part of last week's lesson. We have a new, we have a new covenant that has better promises. So let me read this paragraph. Both of these are good paragraphs. The promises in the first covenant pertain mainly to present life. Remember when he's promising to Abraham, the things that he's promising typically are fulfilled in the lifetime of Abraham, right? In other words, earthly or temporal, okay? Uh, for instance, uh, they were promises of length of days, increase of numbers, uh, promises of seed time and harvest, promises of national privileges, extraordinary peace, abundance, prosperity, all of those, by the way, look at me. Would you agree with the, Jew, the, the Jews of Paul's day? Those were good promises. Amen? National, national peace, prosperity, length of days. Uh, all those are good promises. Understand, though, all of those promises pertain to what? Your lifetime. Right? Your physical lifetime. Okay? So keep reading. Uh, that... that uh, that there are, I'm on the second sentence, that there was also the promise of eternal life, it would be wrong to, to doubt. But this was not the main thing. When you read the Abrahamic covenant, eternal life is indicated, but that's not the main promise. The main promise is all earthly, all physical, right? Uh, in the new covenant, however, the promise of spiritual blessings becomes the principal thing. The mind is directed to heaven. The heart is cheered with the hopes of immortal life. The favor of God and the anticipation of heaven are secured in the most ample and solemn manners. One was temporal, right? The other was eternal. One was physical. The new is spiritual. One was earthly. The other was heavenly. Which of those is better? The first or the second? You know the answer. Understand, as he's saying this, as he's going through chapter 8, from chapter 1 to chapter 8, those Jews are saying, whoa, well, maybe this is better, right? You see the fulfillment. Okay, look at the next paragraph. Jesus interposed himself between God and man, the equal friend of each to so to speak to each. He is, what's, the, what's uh, Timothy say he is? He is our mediator, right? He, he is in between man and God. Uh, through the shed, shedding of his blood, the, covenant, the better covenant is ratified. Its pledges and its promises assured of delivery to man through, uh, through faith in God's word. The promises of the old covenant were earthly, material, political, and national. The promises of the better covenant are heavenly, gloriously spiritual, and eternal. This passage contains the key argument of the chapter. The promises of the new covenant are far better than the promises of the old, old covenant. They expand on it and give a, more, a, a lot more depth. Now, um, boy, there's so many things I want to say. I've got 15 minutes. Okay, so let's talk about, uh, you've already read Jeremiah 31, which comes down there. Go to the promise of grace. The new covenant, it was a widely different nature of that of the old. It was only temporal, earthly in itself, though it was also pointed out spiritual and eternal things. It was indicated in the old covenant, but it's kind of like, okay, think of it this way. In the old covenant, the physical temporal things were emphasized and, and the other mentioned. And the new covenant, the eternal spiritual things are emphasized and the physical mentioned. By the way, you get it wrong, TV evangelists get it wrong when they emphasize the physical over the spiritual. I'm sorry, you're wrong. If you do this, you'll, you'll be rich. If you do this, God will bless you. If you do this, you won't ever, no, 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 no. That, that's not New Testament. Right? What is the emphasis in the New Testament? It is on eternal. It is on spiritual. Right? Not physical. 
Not that those things don't count. I'm not saying those things don't count. I'm saying that is not the emphasis in the New Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, sometimes it seems like if you do right, physically you're going to suffer. Right? You're going to cause problems. It's going to be more difficult. So the emphasis completely has changed. But I was still, knowing what I know today, I would still choose the new. Amen? Even if I suffered, I would rather take temporal suffering and eternal joys than temporal joys and eternal suffering. You still with me? It's just, it's a beautiful picture here. Uh, So keep going down here. Uh, When he talks about uh, the Hebrew translation, Jeremiah reads, which my covenant they break. The Greek translation in Hebrew reads, because they continued not in my covenant. Same thing. That is, they failed to comply with the conditions on which I promised to bestow blessing upon them. In Jeremiah, this is stated as a simple fact. The manner in which the apostle quotes is given reason why God had to have a new arrangement. God said, okay, there were, there were certain things they had to do. So I asked myself a question this morning. Where did I put the question? I wrote it down. Okay, so he gave Old Testament covenant and there were certain things they had to do. Did they, did they fulfill the Old Testament? Did, did the Jews of that day fulfill the Old Testament law and stay by the, um, by the statues of the covenant? Yes or no? No. No, they messed up so many times. I mean, you read the Old Testament, sometimes you're like, man, these people don't have a clue. Even when the pillar of fire or uh, the pillar of cloud is right in front of them, they still make bad decisions. You're like, what is wrong with these guys? So let me ask you a question. So why would he give them an old covenant that they couldn't fulfill, that they couldn't keep? Let me ask you another question. This will maybe help you. Why give us laws that we can't keep? Anybody want to raise your hand and say, from my youth, you'd be like the rich young ruler. From my youth, have I kept all of these? Anybody want to put your hand up? Because I don't think you want to do that. Because I will challenge, boy, I'm coming after you. I'll meet your wife and uh, we'll, we'll end that deal real quick. So why then would he give us laws that we know we can't keep and a covenant based on promises we can't, I mean on uh, statutes we can't keep? You got it, Danny? What is it? Right. I know why we can't keep it, but why? And he knew why we couldn't keep it. So why give it? Yeah. What happened is he's showing us what Romans chapter three tells us. You're wicked. You're sinful. You need a savior. You need a Messiah. You cannot do it on your own. The Old Testament Jews couldn't do it on their own. New Testament Jews can't do it on on their own. New Testament Christians, you can't do it on your own. The law won't work. That's not going to happen. No matter what promises I give you, if I put with those promises, here's what you have to do to keep it, you'll fail. Anybody here not a failure? And that sounds terrible. We're all, when it comes to sin, would you admit we are all failures? Amen? I'm, a lot of people shook their head. I'm, I know you're afraid to say yes out loud to that, but you don't have to. Because this is one of those moments I can point anywhere I want to in the auditorium, and, I, and I'm correct. Sinner, 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 failure, failure. Oh, yeah, failure. Uh-huh. Failure, failure, failure. Okay. Lawbreaker, lawbreaker, lawbreaker. Anybody tell me that I pointed at the wrong person? You say, I don't even know who you pointed at. It doesn't matter. And it didn't matter. Listen to me. And it didn't matter in the Old Testament. Because nobody kept the law perfectly. 
Nobody did every sacrifice like they were supposed to do. Nobody kept all the ordinances. Nobody kept all the holidays. No, they, they didn't do it either. There had to be someone to do it for them. Getting it? Now, all of a sudden, if you're like me, when I was, uh, when I was in Bible college, you know, we were going through some of this, and, and it was like in my head things started, you know, clicking. When somebody taught, teaches you the truth and you see things put together, you're like, oh, 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 that's good, right? What I'm hoping, what I'm hoping is happening here at this point in time when the letter comes to these Hebrew churches, that that's what they're doing. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is better. Wow. Now, I don't know, and you don't know either, I don't know when that transition or how long that transition took from not, no longer bringing sacrifice. Some people, I'm sure, some people, I'm sure, stopped bringing sacrifices to the temple immediately. Amen? I'm sure that there are those people. Some people immediately said, that's no longer a, a rule, a law for me. I love God because of what he's done for me, and I'll serve him out of my pure love for him and faith I have in him. I'm sure that happened. But I also think there were graduations of that, right? Until the temple was destroyed, where it's beginning to... And so we're in that period with Paul in the book of Hebrews, that little, that transitional period where they're trying to... They're uncomfortable. It'd be uncomfortable not... How many of you know this is true for you? If I'm, if I'm somewhere and I can't come or if I'm sick and I don't go to church on Sunday morning, that kind of makes me uncomfortable. You say, well, you can watch it online. I know you can, but man, I don't know. Online, if you're watching online, great. I'm not saying, it's, but if you're watching online because you can't do anything but watch online, I understand that. But if you can be here, I'm going to be here. I, well, understand, can you understand then what these Jews thought when Paul's saying, you don't have to do that anymore. There's this temple, but you don't have to go to it. In fact, it won't be long before it'll be gone. What? Okay, so that's where we are in the teaching, okay? So uh, under, understand that. So not only is that that promise, look at the top of page 73. I'm not going to get much further, but uh, six times in Hebrews 8, uh, 8 through 13, Paul says, uh, God says, I will. You see it in verse 8, verse 10, verse 12, okay? Not verse 810 like I typed there. Uh, verse, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 10. That's grace. The old covenant was a yoke of bondage, uh, demanding perfect obedience. By the way, again, anybody have perfect obedience, you think, in the Old Testament? No. Was Abraham, was Abraham a good man? Yes or no? Was Abraham a good man? Yes or no? This is not a trick question. Yeah, he was a good man in a sense. Was he trying to be a godly man? Yes. Was Abraham perfect? Moses? I was going to say David, but that would get a rousing no. You know, even though he's a man after God's own heart, was he perfect? Oh, no. No, no, no. Daniel? I mean, the closest I can come in the Old Testament is somebody like Joseph. And I, but I don't think he was perfect either. But boy, he's, when you read the Old Testament, you read Joseph's story, I think in, uh, what is it, chapter 36 through chapter 50 in Genesis. Wow. Uh, definitely a godly man, but perfect man? Nope. I don't even think Joseph would have claimed that. Okay? Uh, so uh, understand that. The new covenant emphasizes what God will do for his people. Note that God does not find fault in, with the old covenant, but with the people themselves. Okay, there's another point in point. Is the Old Covenant done away with because there was something wrong with the Old Covenant? No. The Old Covenant is done away with because you couldn't keep the... You, I mean, seriously, if you think Christianity is tough today, I have people tell me all the time, oh, it's really tough to live a Christian. <laughs> you really want to be an Old Testament Jew? No, thank you. 
I don't know that I'm, I couldn't have done that one either. I can't do this one very well, and I couldn't have do that one at all. Okay, uh, so uh, it doesn't, it, it's not because the covenant was wrong. It was what? Because the people failed. Same thing you have. The law is spiritual, but men are carnal, sold under sin, Romans 7, 14, Romans 8, 3. Uh, and both make it clear that the, uh, what the law, that the law was weak through the flesh. In other words, because, uh, who said that? Was, that was Danny. Because we're sinful men, we couldn't. Which again, you almost say to yourself, then why give us a law? Ah, the law is our schoolmaster. Showing us our sin. Showing us who we are. I set myself up against the law and it's not, it's not pretty. I'm sorry, it's just not pretty. I set myself against New Testament commandments and it's not pretty. Right? I'm sure there's probably a hundred men in here that have never committed adultery in your heart. Well, I would not say that. I mean, if I start setting up some commandments and ask you, did you match up? I'm sure there's several people here who have never lied, right? You don't buy that, neither do I. You, you understand what I'm saying? Every, several people here have never hated another person. Never responded in revenge. You see what I'm saying? You can look at all that Old Testament and say, well, they didn't keep the law. They're imperfect. Well, who are you? Same deal, right? So you get it. All right. Uh, in other words, the favor of Israel could not be blamed on any weakness in the old covenant, but on the weakness of human nature. It is here then that grace steps in. Oh, then that. Amen. It is here that grace steps in what the law could not do because of man's weakness. God accomplished through the cross. All right. Is it, how many would say, OK, it's beginning to make that's you don't have to raise your hand. It's beginning to make sense now. I'm getting it. Here's what I think is happening. I think by the time you get to chapter eight of this letter, if you're in one of those Jewish churches, you're sitting there going, oh, wow. Wow. This isn't new. This is the fulfillment of the old. Exactly. We'll stop there because I'm, I'm not going to get this whole next section without <laughs> a long explanation because there's some stuff there I want to talk about, especially this mediator, this concept of the mediator, right? I want to talk about, uh, let me give you a definition. I don't think it's in your note. I wrote it down uh, earlier this morning. Uh, a mediator is what you think it is. It's one who intervenes between uh, two parties in order to make peace, okay? If you keep that, that that'll, make, that'll help you a little bit. It's one who intervenes in between, between two or more parties to make peace. Okay? Old Testament talks about a mediator. New Testament talks about a mediator. Old Testament talks about there were mediators who were priests. New Testament talks about a mediator, but not priest, the priest. You say, why is that important? Oh, that's going to make a lot of difference in a lot of different religions of today. Is it not? Okay, we'll talk about that next week. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Dear Father, Lord, we are thankful for the new covenant. We are so thankful for what God, uh, for what you and Christ have done in us. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your mercy. And we're thankful, Lord, for your son who died on the cross for us. We pray, Lord, that we'll serve him, not because we have to, because we really can't do it in perfect, uh, in, in perfect obedience. But Lord, we're thankful for a Savior who's done it for us. Help us to respond in loving service. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you are dismissed. We're